Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is the podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really, what is it all about? Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches for an honest conversation. In today's episode, we ask the question, is training really just a waste of money? Yeah, well, I was I was walking back from dog walking and I was thinking about doing this podcast. And I was thinking, we don't really want to say that if you've got a certain amount to spend for your learning and development budget, that essentially spending your dollars or your pounds, spend on coaching because it's much more effective than spending on training. No. I thought, if we're being really honest, that is what we're saying, but <laughs> only in certain circumstances. So I think part of what this podcast is about is just really differentiating between where it's really suitable to spend your money on training and being really happy with that, but highlighting the reasons why you should really consider coaching or a coaching-led intervention as the way to go for anything really complex. And I, I think part of the point you wanted to make is we are living in a more complex world. Exactly. And I think ultimately it it boils down to what is it I'm trying to achieve? What is the outcome I'm trying to achieve? And so we're going to explore a bit of that in today's episode. And to your point, we are in a time of complexity. So there's this phrase, a a VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. That's right, isn't it? I've not got that wrong. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And somebody was given the example of an executive level tax lawyer. And he said, before, All he needed to bother about was keeping the organization. So the organization had the lowest tax bill and everybody stayed out of prison. Right. But now he needs to think about those things. And he thinks about what's happening on Twitter and Facebook and the company's reputation and how he engages with young people. It was basically way more complex. And I think it is, I find it useful to know the difference between complicated and complex. Yeah. Simple is a recipe for like banana bread. There's a few instructions, you follow them to the letter and you get pretty much the same thing every time. Complicated is something like putting an individual on the moon Yeah. because we know how to do that. It's complicated, there are lots and lots of steps, but we know what they all are. Yeah, follow these 10 steps and you get there. And you get there. It's really hard, but still you can do it. Complex is when there's lots and lots of things that are variable. Yeah. And we're not sure what they are. And that's where training falls down and coaching really comes into it. Yeah. And just building on that, kind of the idea of complexity and kind of moving parts. We're in a time of culture change at the moment. Obviously, we're still in COVID times at the moment. We've got the, the climate change crisis. We've got, we're still in the, the wake of Black Lives Matter. We've got the Me Too movement. So there's all sorts of things that are happening out there in the world, as well as everything that we're focusing, fo- that an organization might be focusing on internally. It is true that leaders today have to deal with a much more complex world and a more complex set of stakeholder needs. Yeah. than they used to have to do 20 years ago. And the speed of change as well. I think the, the sense that people talk about, don't they, that every five years you need to actually reinvent yourself because from a skills and experience perspective, you'll be already getting out of date. So there's this, this sense of speed and urgency and complexity and agility and this need to adapt and be resilient to be able to cope with this constant change constant challenge. I think it was Charles Handy said back in the 90s, he said, it's gone from having nine to five careers 
Yeah. As in nine o'clock to five o'clock. Now to having five to nine careers, which I thought was really interesting. You know, I'm going to have five or nine different careers in my lifetime, maybe. So we've got to be able to adapt to that. And that's got a real implication in learning. So I, because I'd always felt quite frustrated that I could see money getting spent on training that I knew wasn't working. And I was thinking if you could spend this money on coaching with your leaders, you would be having better impact. And I came across this article, which we'll put in the show notes, called The Great Training Robbery. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's a great title for an article. And they lead that at by basically giving some stats from a survey that in 2012, US corporations spent $164.2 billion on training and education. But the overwhelming evidence and experience showed that in most companies, they're unable to transfer that employee learning into changes in either individual or organizational behavior or improve financial performance. So that that was pretty amazing. It's a huge amount of money to be spent. But then they go on to say a meta-analysis that that lots of training studies show that only 10% of training programs are effective. That's amazing. 10%. 10%. I know. Which is something incredible. And that return on investment, that transfer of learning, really is the holy grail of any learning intervention for any L&D or talent leader, when they're looking at investing their budgets, they want to be able to point to the difference that it has made. And if only 10% are effective, that's really quite staggering. I just suddenly popped into my head was the research that IBM did. I normally think of this and how people get noticed and promoted. Right, yeah. Their research was 10% of that was down to skill, technical skill, they called it. 30% 30% was down to communication and style, but 60% was down to visibility and reputation. Oh, yeah. It's huge. But I just struck me that 10% technical skill and 10% of training programs are actually effective. And I think that really speaks to where I think training works is in technical areas. Yeah. Health and safety would be a prime area where you need proper technical training. These are the rules that you have to comply to in order for us to be healthy and safe. And I think things like interview skills training, you know, here are the kinds of questions that you need to ask. Here are the kinds of questions that you shouldn't really be asking. Here are the things you need to be aware of from a kind of an unconscious bias perspective. I still remember my star training I did 30 um, odd years ago. Yep. Brilliant training for a particular technical skill. Exactly. When we were talking about this beforehand, you shared a pretty couple of really good examples about, what was it? Is it BP and reversing cars? There was two things. So I know I've, I've coached in the petrochem sector and actually a friend worked for BP and he told me that it was just crazy on health and safety there. But if you go into a BP car park, all of the cars, they're reverse part because that's part of the safety culture because it's the safest way to do it. So when you're driving out of your parking space, you're facing outward. Absolutely. But the main thing that that got me was when I went into the building that they insist that you hold on to the handrail when you're going up and down stairs. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get germs. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know how they're handling it now in times of COVID. I'm I not sure. I was say, what they're going to do now. <laughs> I, I don't know how to put a hand gel at the top and bottom of stairs. That's the only thing I can think they do. But the point is, this is to train a technical habit. So when you get onto an oil rig platform, you never let go of the handrail because you're you're in the office, you touch the handrail because they know that you're going to move into environments where it's absolutely critical you always touch onto the handrail. It's a training thing. It's about getting a, getting a technical skill really in there. 
But the problem comes from what this article is basically saying. People take the approach of trying to get organizational change embedded in an organization by training from the bottom up. So we will identify these are the competencies that we need in this organization in order for this to happen. Let's get training together to train these competencies. However, you're not addressing what the leadership are doing. Exactly. And so that was one of the things they really found in that article of really highlighted. It's about the senior leader's behavior and the environment that made it impossible for the staff to change their behavior. So if I go to a training program, which is all about, I don't know, inclusive leadership and empowering and trusting my team, I can spend two days in that training program. But if when I come out of that training program, the environment that I'm in, my line manager, the way I'm expected to work, the way my performance is measured is not aligned with that training program, then it's going to be pretty impossible for me to put that into practice. Yeah, basically the senior leader's behavior and environment make it impossible for staff to change their behavior. And they, they even did uh, some research where they showed that people were saying in a company-wide leadership uh, development program, the participants described it as very powerful. During the program, people changed their attitudes and behavior. But two years later, when they were surveyed, managers didn't think the training had changed the organization organization's effectiveness at all, nor its culture, nor its performance. Because anything that had been done had been unwound by the context that the senior leaders were creating. So that's why we would say, if you're going to spend your money on a coaching-led program that works with the senior leaders first, so then when you do that other training, it can work. You're going to get the return on your investment. Otherwise, you're probably wasting your money. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of playing that back again, I'm just thinking that through. So if you did that coaching intervention at the top, then you're getting the behavior right, you're getting the culture right, and you're getting the commitment to the culture change that is trying to be achieved. Once you've got that right, then actually a training intervention at the levels below may well be something that you consider but it's about getting that culture right at the top first yeah so take collaboration collaboration across organizational boundaries most organizations they want innovation they want collaboration absolutely i got involved with an organization where they had tried five six seven years on a trot to get they, they add interventions at the lower level to get this working and it never worked it was only when we worked with the senior team and got them working together and modeling it to their people lower down in the organization, suddenly it worked. Yeah, you have to unlock it, don't you? They had over five years of wasting money. Yeah. Whereas if they'd done a coaching-led approach and still done the training, they would have got the return on their investment. So I think that is the real point we're making. Yeah, and I think what's interesting here is is that the relationship between the two, because I can imagine as a listener to this episode, I might be thinking, hang on a second, I can't afford to coach everybody in the organization, right? Because <laughs> that's quite potentially quite a, an expensive way to go. But actually, if I can do a coaching-led intervention at the higher levels of the organization and then explore a training-led intervention, that suddenly becomes something that is perhaps a bit more manageable. Yeah. one And one of the things that the articles goes through is the silent killers. Yeah. These are interesting, actually. I'd like to explore these. And one of them is unclear strategies, values, and conflicting priorities. Mm-hmm. What you quite often get in a senior team is you, I mean, clearly, they're, they're competing for resources. 
but they may very well have conflicting priorities that they haven't aligned. And so you need to get them all aligned behind a consistent strategy, a consistent set of values, and a consistent set of priorities. Otherwise, they are going to unwind stuff. So say you've got a, a, you know, a senior leadership team of six or eight doing the work there then means that they in coaching them to support a program means that the training is likely to stick. Yeah. And then that's something where coaching the leader of a team is really going to help. But if you can then coach the team together around any sort of culture change, organizational change, any major change, you really need to be coaching the senior team. So I just want to check in here. So with the silent killers, is the point of these, the idea that if you've got any of these in place, don't do training, think about coaching first. Is that the message? That's pretty much the message I got from reading the article. Yeah, okay. So with that first one, if you've got, if there's any chance you've got an unclear strategy, unclear values or conflicting priorities, get some coaching in, some team coaching with your senior team to get that really clear before you think about doing any training, which kind of makes sense, I guess. We did a podcast on team coaching, number yeah. four in series one. So one of the silent killers is an ineffective senior team. So I would go towards team coaching. Team facilitation could be the route that you would use, depending on where that team is. I I just happen to have a belief that team coaching over a, a longer period of time is the thing that's going to really be cost effective. And just in case people haven't heard the team coaching episode, difference between team coaching and team facilitation? Because actually both could serve a purpose here, couldn't they? Yeah, team facilitation quite often tends to be one or two events. You facilitate them around something and you tend to be the expert as yeah. a facilitator. And team coaching, you're likely to be working with them over a longer period of time. So you really embed the change of behavior. Yeah. But the other thing is you are not seen as the expert. Yeah. You're just there to coach. And, and very much as in a one-to-one coaching, you're not there as the expert. It's not a pedagogic yeah. Process. I don't not sure if you're supposed to say if it's pedagogy or or whatever. It basically means teaching, doesn't it? Okay. So silent killers, unclear strategy. Number one, I don't know if actually numbered in this order. Number two, an ineffective senior team. So ideally, looking at a team coaching intervention there. Leadership style, top down or laissez faire. Can I just go, go back to the ineffective senior team? Sure. So w- one of the things that when it comes to change programs, is everybody bought into it? And is is everybody thinking of the senior team as their primary team? And I'd like to think of it, is it their first team? Okay. So I'm the sales director and we've been doing a culture change program, but I know I have to get my numbers in this quarter. Am I going to prioritize my team first or the top team I'm a member of first? And am I willing to have that conversation with my peers? Yes, we can do this, but you do realize we're going to take sacrifice 5% in in sales. So that's one of the things that just what I would mean by an effective senior team is that team are aligned behind this is what we're all here for. This is my first team. If we need to prioritize something in one of those operating units, we need to have the discussion, not just go your own way. Okay. So leadership style, top down or laissez-faire? From memory, I think the article was basically saying neither. (laughs) Yeah. So if you've got either of these, then actually again, and again, I can see that top down. So you could train me to do anything you like, but actually if the environment I'm working in is directorial, top down, then I'm not going to feel safe to do or feel empowered to do any of the things I've been trained to do. 
And then laissez-faire, do your own thing, is, yeah, you're not setting an example. You're not doing the priority, you know, you're not setting the priorities for the organization. It's, you just get on with it. And this is sometimes, um, I think it's what Patrick Lencioni's, you know, latest book is about laissez-faire leadership. Just, well, I trust you, get on with it. Rather yeah. than actually taking the responsibility for really leading these people. So, yeah, if you notice that there's a top-down culture or a laissez-faire culture, you're Training interventions are likely going to unwind if the, if it's in a complex environment. And when you say in a complex environment, what do you mean by that? Like a culture change programme. I'm in a culture change programme and things are changing. If you notice that you've got a top-down or a laissez-faire leadership style, then actually trying to do some training in that environment, particularly if there's some complexity going on, such as a culture change programme, then actually coaching is going to be the best place to start. should be an alarm bell for a training intervention. Yeah. Definitely. And then it also talks about poor coordination across functions, businesses and or geographic regions. I've seen that in some of my coaching work. One organisation in particular where I see some duplication and frustration. So it's when I see somebody over there who's doing some of the work that I'm doing, I'm not entirely sure who should be leading it. And I'm not entirely sure whether I'm right to be doing it or whether they should be doing it. So just kind of creating some confusion there around who's leading what. And you're not going to train people out of that. That comes down to leadership and leadership style. Yeah, I think this one is really is evidence of the prior ones because what you're going to see if you don't have an effective senior team that have got a, a clear strategy and values and, and priorities, you're going to see poor coordination across the functions. So that's the way I think this one is just clear evidence of those other silent killers being present. Yeah, yeah. as you say, it's almost just like a symptom, isn't it? And actually, when you talk about unclear strategy, values and conflicting priorities, that makes me think of, and I can't remember the name of the book now, by Daniel Coyle, The Culture Code. And in there, he calls that clear strategy and values the North Star. And that always really landed with me. It's this idea of that's where we're, that's what we're heading for this is our north star that's what we all need to kind of coalesce around and everything that we're doing needs to contribute towards the achievement of that yeah and a great book with really good examples to highly recommend it yeah i thought that this next one wasn't so much I, I thought this next one of a silent killer was inadequate leadership management skills and development in the organization and i am sure certainly my experience of coaching middle and senior managers, it's okay if you've grown up in a BP or a GE or IBM. They've got these programs. Yeah. But you look at medium-sized organizations, and quite often people can get to really senior levels, and they've never had any management skills training. And they find themselves in these roles, either where they're having to do line management and have some quite difficult conversations at times, or, as I've seen quite a lot of, where you have this sort of strange role where you are more senior and you do have kind of oversight or leadership, but actually no people, no direct line management. So you're needing to kind of influence people who are more junior to you, but actually without a sort of line of command. You can go a very far away if you think of certain things like you can become the general counsel. You can be a legal expert and go from never having any man management experience they're, an, they're another example of gender-specific language creeping in. Yep. Can have no direct line management experience. And suddenly, you're in your 40s, you've been dealing with all this expertise, and it's the first time you have been a line manager. Yeah. And nobody thinks you need any training. 
I mean, that's where some of that skills training is really valuable and should be put in place, no no matter the seniority. It's like management 101, isn't it? Yeah, except it it gets missed out. Yeah. Um, And actually, we we spoke about that in one of our other podcasts and we talked about the leadership pipeline and delegation. Yeah. So often that's a blocker. And I think the last one they had is, because in the article, it tells you about the right way to do stuff. People should read the article if you're going to have a training uh, program. But I thought it was really good for people to be able to hear what are the things that should be setting alarm bells. And we talked about creating psychological safety Mm. as, as being really important in a lot of areas. One of their flags is closed vertical communication. And what they're really saying there is, Truth cannot be spoken to power. And what that means is you get poor information flow. So in any strategic execution, one of the things that's really important is that information can get right from the front line, competitive information gets right from the front line, right up to the top of the organization and back down quickly. And if you don't have that psychological safety, you have blockages and disconnects everywhere. Which is going to screw up any strategic execution. Again, someplace psychological safety comes up a lot in Gojang. Yeah. And it's something that I would argue with my kind of diversity and inclusion hat on is something that warrants coaching at a leadership level. Because if the leaders are equipped and have the level of self-awareness required to take steps to create that safety and to do that intentionally, then they will, by virtue of their behavior, be signaling that it's safe to speak up and to challenge the status quo. And in fact, it's expected and it's required of you. But until they've got that behavior uh, in place and they've created that environment, then it's not going to be possible. I think that's quite a good example of where coaching can be really good uh, return on investment. Because mm. I was interested, I was reading a study, it was by, it's by a French organization, and they were basically saying for gender diversity, and I think they were applying that across to other forms of diversity, but they were particularly researching gender diversity, that if you wanted an effective program, don't make all of your managers responsible for it or accountable for it, actually. Just make one one of the senior team, so a, a VP, etc. Right. Make them responsible, and that's the way that you best get gender diversity. Because if you spread it out, nobody really takes responsibility. In fact, their research showed that actually your gender diversity can go backwards if you do that. And so they were saying, right, make one senior person. So we think you get some really good coaching in for that individual. Yeah to help them make sure that any other intervention is going to be really aligned with their colleagues. They're going to probably have to have some really courageous use of power yeah, to really influence the rest of their peers yeah, if they really want that agenda to go forward. Mm. That's the sort of coaching support that means that you're, you're spending your money once to ensure that you, the other stuff is effective. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting, actually, because I can see how if it's diluted, you know, if, if it's made a responsibility of everybody, A, they might not know what they need to do in order to make it happen in the first place. But B, it can be unclear. Well, if I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, then I won't do anything at all. And so then nothing happens. Whereas if you've got somebody who's actually tasked with leading this and is supported, 
to kind of drive that forward, I can see that would make a big difference. So our top tips? I think reading the article, and I mean, I know it's very easy to say, go away and read this article. And that's why we wanted to do the podcast was to kind of bring it to life and have that discussion around it. But it is really interesting reading and some of the the research and the evidence in there. And I think particularly this 10% of training being effective just really stood out for me. I was quite surprised when I saw that. So go ahead, read the article, we'll put it in the show notes. I think the other thing is the leaders do need coaching to help them navigate the complexity in a VUCA world. Yeah. And I think this gives an argument. If you see you've got X, uh, tens, hundreds of thousands, millions, whatever you've got in your training budget, if you want that to be really effective and you're doing something complex, then supporting your senior leaders with some coaching is the way to get the best return for your money. And I would just build on that by saying, I think that there's going to be very few organizations as we come out of this pandemic and whatever that looks like who will not be needing to navigate complexity so in terms of thinking about budgets for the next year or two or even three actually setting aside some budget for coaching leaders to navigate their way through this next period of time i think is going to be pretty crucial i hope people are thinking like they were in 2008 2009 because i thought coaching was really going to take a terrible hit because a, a lot of time would be put in with the training budget but certainly in 2009, my experience was that still the coaching budgets were, a lot of them were ring-fenced mm. so that the senior leaders could still get some support with dealing with essentially a really complex challenge. So I hope as we come out of this pandemic, and as you see, whatever happens, the, the leaders that are in charge or are enabling their people to do whatever needs to be done, uh, they can get the support. And to, yeah, and help their help businesses bounce back. And then my my final tip then is don't ignore your history. Don't do something because that's what you've always done. If you do what you've always done, you get what you've always got. It's kind of challenging organisations to really critically look back at their history. Where has your training really delivered results? Keep the good bits that you know work but actually be open to doing things a bit differently if when you look back, as in that study that you highlighted, two years down the line, actually things haven't changed. It's going to take a brave L&D director, HR director, to turn around and say, that budget you gave me the last five years, actually a whole bunch of it has been a waste of money. That that probably wouldn't be a safe uh, argument to have, but I think it takes some courage to say, okay, we're going to admit that internally, Let's see what if we could do something uh, that's that's more effective. And again, I think there's an argument there to say the world is, as we started the podcast, the world is even more complex now than it was. And so maybe that means we need to take a different approach. I do hope that people have enjoyed this podcast. It's been a great conversation, Greg, and I really enjoyed exploring that article in a bit more detail. So thank you for sharing that one. Yeah, that's been fun. Thanks very much for investing your time and listening to the show. We appreciate any feedback and we're keen to respond to any questions that are out there about using and implementing coaching in organisations. Please do email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com. We'll put details as always in the show notes about the topics we've talked about. And if you've got time, it really makes a difference if you can give us a rating on iTunes. It helps us spread the word. Our aim here is to help people have more coaching conversations in organisations. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you.